Well, uh, morning everyone. My name is Mark and a uh, great big welcome to church on this Australia Day weekend. Um, I had the great privilege this week of getting some feedback about my preaching. It's awesome. Friend in Canada, shout out to Ali if you're listening to this podcast. Ali sent me a message going, Mark, do you know that your sermons are just the right length to listen to while the dentist uh, anesthetizes your jaw, waits for the anesthetic to tape, take place, drills out an old filling, refills your, dr- your jaw, your tooth, and then lets you recover. And it was just this amazingly great distraction. So there we go. We're a full-service church. Here's next time you've got to go through a really unpleasant experience. Uh, take, uh, take a sermon of mine along. Uh, I sent a message back to her. I said, that's great, because actually uh, the other use a lot of people put this, um, the podcast to is uh, helping them uh, treat chronic insomnia. So, um, uh, you know, we just, we just love serving people here in this church. So uh, lie back, imagine you're at the dentist, and uh, let's get into it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of thinking together about uh, life. And I pray that you will speak to us now. Uh, Amen. So we're in this series um, uh, thinking about the new year and ourselves and how we're going to get through life. And we've been looking at a a renewed you, new life, a new year, renewed you. We've been looking at uh, all the various different components of our lives. And today we're going to think about our bodies and the role that our bodies play in our spiritual life how we can have a right relationship with our bodies, what is the place of our bodies in this world, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a great, uh, it's a great and really important topic. And I thought I'd ask, start off by asking you a question. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is, man, I hate my body, I'm disappointed in it, it's awful, and 10 is, Oh my goodness, I love my body. I am completely, utterly, totally at peace with my body. My body is the bomb. Yeah. Never upset with any bit of my body. Okay, so that's 10. One. Okay. Don't, don't yell out. That might be embarrassing. Um, where do you think you'd put yourself on that scale? Interesting, isn't it? I suspect, now I have no scientific data to back this up, but my hunch is most of us, well, let me, let me ask for a show of hands. How many of you are a 10? How many of you are completely at peace with your bodies? You love your bodies. Yeah, no, no. Look. We have this really problematic relationship with our bodies. It swings, it varies. Uh, we, uh, you know... We're never skinny enough, strong enough, smart enough, disciplined enough. Uh, Our bodies never conform to ever-changing, idealized visions of beauty. And and if we do think just for a moment our bodies are in great shape, just give it a bit of time and something is going to go wrong, you know. Uh, We're a church full of medicos. There's lots of medical people here who, you know, they make their living by... the, The wonderful reality that our bodies are all slowly giving up, Right? So, uh, actually, our relationship with our bodies is pretty problematic. Uh, that said, isn't it interesting, if, if actually many of us hate our bodies, 
Many of us are deeply disappointed with our bodies. Many of us find our bodies profoundly problematic. And this is not just in church. This is like everywhere, every age and stage of life. Isn't it interesting that we also live in a culture that worships our bodies, (laughs) that idolizes the body? Fascinating, isn't it? So we have this problematic relationship, but we put it on a pedestal, we worship, we idolize it. You say, oh, Mark, I don't really worship my body. Our culture doesn't do that. Well, in life, when you look around, think about how much time and energy we devote to the maintenance of our bodies. Just, just keeping this thing of our bodies going, how much time do we devote to caring for it, looking after it, feeding it, securing its future, healing it from hurts. Enormous. Now, if you don't just add the time we spend, think about if you added in how much time we spend worrying about our bodies, thinking and worrying about the future of our bodies, let alone thinking and worrying about the future of other people's bodies. It's huge. The point I've made over the last few weeks, and I'm going to, we're briefly going to recap, uh, recap this, is that um, uh, I'll just uh, get this going. Why is that not working? Just bear with me while I make the technology work. The point I've been making is to understand uh, how God wants to renew us, we need to understand our role, uh, the various ways, uh, the parts that our body has, the system of our overall life, and then the way, the role, the the way our life is put together. So here are two ways to live. Um, there is a common explanation of the gospel that comes that has the same title. This is a little different to that. Um, this is the third way to live. Uh, so not really. Um, so here are two ways to live, and there really only are. And everything I'm going to say now really is an unpacking of this arrangement, and the last few sermons is an unpacking of this arrangement as well. So uh, the one way we live... The various components of the self are made up, we are, we are beings made up of hearts, minds, souls, bodies, and we exist in a social context with people. And what really matters in life is how those various parts are put together and the relationships that they have with them, right? So uh, the one way to live, the Bible says, and in fact, if you and I think about it carefully, we'll discover this to be the case, is, uh, is this way, where we live... Uh, ruled by the self. And in particular, our self calls the shots and our self is at the mercy of our desires. Or uh, the Greek word is epithumia, the desires that control us and run us. And the place where those desires are located is our bodies. So who calls the shot in our lives? It's our bodies. Because that's all there really is. So that's why we think about our bodies. We worry about our bodies. We, we live through and for our bodies. And then our bodies direct our souls. The soul, if you recall, is that part of ourselves seen as an integrated being 
So getting the desires of our bodies, our needs of our bodies met directs the whole of our lives. So then we spend an enormous amount of time thinking about how we are going to get the needs of our bodies met, how we're going to get our desires filled. We develop all sorts of feelings about the use of our desires. We, we feel good about those things that will gratify our epithemia, our desires. We feel bad about those things that threaten us. And then that directs a mind that is oriented around getting the needs of our bodies met, directs our hearts. If you recall, our hearts, it's like the CEO of our being, the part of us that makes choices, that spiritual center of us. So our choosing executive center is then driven and shaped in its choosing by the self working through the, getting the needs of the body met. And uh, finally, all of this is oriented to make sure that other people uh, are used in such a way that our needs are met. And uh, that's one way to live. And in fact, uh, you can really understand pretty much everything that is wrong with this world by unpacking this picture. <laughs> when we all live like that, we inevitably use other people. And we might do it in sophisticated and nice ways, but we're, we're, we're driven by the self and by our bodies uh, because we have nothing else, no other way to organize or unite or direct or lead our bodies. And then God is the being of last resort who we call upon when our bodies are under final threat. Isn't that right? There is no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. When you've tried everything else, in that last moment, you say, oh God, please help me. And the good news is he often does uh, because he's that kind of a person to help us even when we treat him as the person of last resort. Now, the wonderful news that Jesus brings us is there is another way to live. And this whole series has been about unpacking this other way to live, which is where God changes the fundamental orientation of our being, where uh, he gives us new hearts which means beings, a decision-making part of us that actually wants to submit to the will of God, that says, actually, God is God. I'm not God. I will follow him. His will will be done, not mine. And the paradigm, the best picture we see of this in the New Testament is the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, heading towards the cross, about to die, where he says to his father, I'd really rather not go through this is there any other way? I want to get out of this. I really don't want to die. But in the end, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's the picture of the way God wants us to live. And that led him to offer his body as a sacrifice to die a brutal, terrible death, separated from his father, alone, betrayed, abandoned, tortured, crucified. That's what he did with his body as he submitted his will to his father. So, his, uh, so the way this works is God directs the heart, the heart directs the mind, the mind directs the soul, the soul directs your body, and your body becomes the thing that you only ever use to serve other people. And uh, at the bottom of all of this is the self, where you, you say, you know what? If I, if I live this way, then my self-will is secure in God and will be taken care of. And so I don't need to prioritize the self. I can prioritize God and other people, and that is the way of life. Now, what does that mean about our bodies? And I want to suggest... Uh, we've got a I want to suggest the following thing, that in this schema, and as we think about life, 
the, our bodies lie right at the very center of our spiritual growth. Okay? That when you understand this, you start to see that our bodies are absolutely central to any kind of spiritual development. So no matter where you are, whether you are living for yourself right now or you're living for God, you know what? Your body is massively significant. Uh, much, uh, much damage has been done amongst religious people and particularly Christian religious people. Much damage has been done because we have ignored the role of the body in our spiritual growth and in our transformation. Well, the Christian growth is really fundamentally about getting a right set of ideas or having a right set of ex emotional experiences. You say, well, yes, that's, it is about that, but it's not just about that because our bodies are the only way in which this spiritual reality of our souls, of our hearts, actually gets fleshed out and uh, lived out. And what happens in our bodies uh, is of enormous significance to the overall direction of our lives and our beings. So what I want to do this morning is uh, a, a philosophical lecture on uh, the nature of embodied reality and our bodies. Uh, actually, I'll try and make it not... Well, it will be a bit like that. And what I wanted to think... Uh, what I wanted to do first is answer this question, which you may not ever have thought about. Um, what is my body? I mean, at one level, it's so obvious. Oh, this is what it is. But I want you to think about it in another way. And this work, this comes from my favorite Christian philosopher, a fellow called Dallas Willard, um, in the interests of uh, academic honesty. Uh, not a single thought I have this morning is original. Uh, just putting it, putting it right out there, uh, which I see as a good thing, right? I, I think after 2,000 years, um, originality in the realm of philosophy and ideas in the Bible would be typically a really bad thing, as well as completely unachievable, because everything's been thought of before. But in this instance, drawing deeply from Dallas Willard. Uh, so what is your body? Um, well, the first thing we've got to say is our body, I don't know if you ever thought about this, uh, is potential energy. All of life, actually, is stored energy, is potential energy. And life is about transferring the energy from one form to another form, right? Um, and uh, I can only, and if you think about it all the time, this is what we do, right? Uh, so this morning before the service began, I went and got a bunch of coffee for people. Now, what was I doing there? I was liberating the energy from coffee beans and from caffeine through a whole process of walking across, transferring money, getting the... There's all this energy flowing, transferring this so that I could ingest the energy of the coffee beans and that would release energy into my system. Okay, that's what's happened, right? Uh, that's what we do all the time. We're transferring energy from one thing into the next thing. And I can... Now, what's important to notice is that I can only liberate and use the energy in other physical objects by using my own body. So this body is the only way I have to actually make this transfer of energy from potential to actual and then for it to be used for useful things happen. So the body is massive. But my body has great potential energy. But my body is different to other objects in the way that I mobilize and utilize and transfer the potential energy 
How so? Well, my body is the only physical object that I have where I can release the potential energy purely by the action of my spiritual nature of who I am, by my mind. Every other being in the world, I have to use a body to impact a body. My body, however, I indwell as a, as, a, as a heart, as a will, as a spirit with a mind, and it's purely by the action of the spiritual component of myself that I'm able to harness and release the potential energy in my body. That's amazing. Why? Because it shows that spirit can interact directly on matter. And the same way that our spirits indwell and act directly to release the energy of the matter of our bodies, that is the way God indwells the world and can act directly as a spirit on the physical matter of the world. That's the first thing. The second thing it says is that, is that spirit precedes matter, not the other way around. And that becomes important when we die. <laughs> Because it says that when the matter of our physical bodies finally winds down and stops working, it doesn't mean that our spirits necessarily cease to exist. In fact, far, far, far from it. Now, uh, let me illustrate this. You might be sitting here going, I really don't get any of that, Mark, at all. It's at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, and it's really hot, and I don't understand. Okay, let me give you an illustration. Um, just, just raise your hand. Anyone want to raise a hand? Okay, so let me ask you a question. Uh, how did you raise your hand? What was that? You just, you just did. You had the intention to raise your hand, and in a process that you can't even really understand, it just responded, right? Oh. I'm not even thinking. It is just what you do. I'm, I'm preaching with my hands. I'm waving them around. I'm not having to think about, okay, I've got to do... And, and neither do I have to lift my hand with another hand and move it. I don't have to get you to lift my hands. My, when my body works the way it should, it is the realm in which my spirit has authority or rule directly. It has dominion. So my body, your body... Is, your, is the realm of your kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? I know we're going to become a republic one day, and won't that be wonderful? But I'm sure you've all been watching The Queen on Netflix, so I'm sure you're all almost staunch monarchists right now, just for the period of that show. Uh, we, we don't often talk about kings and queens, but the point of a king or a queen is that they have authority over a particular realm of reality, right? So do you. In a way that nobody else does, you are the king or the queen, you have rule over the particular, your spiritual being has rule over this physical dominion of your body. And you act, your spirit acts in your body through your life to achieve certain outcomes. One of the problems comes when uh, your little kingdom interacts with my kingdom. And what we discover very quickly from a very young age, uh, a little baby discovers they're, a, they're, they're king or queen of their bodies. They can raise their hand to their mouth and suck their thumbs, and it's very satisfying and very wonderful. But what little kids discover very quickly is, and you and I discover, is my, my rule over my body bumps up hard against your rule over your body. 
So I get frustrated. I don't get what I want. You use your body to get what you want from me, and I use my body to get what I want from you. And sometimes that works well, but sometimes that's an enormous clash. It's, it's, it's the, my body is the only way through which I live in the world, but uh, it's also a way in which I can either bring good in the world or oppression and injustice. And our character is formed, our identity and character is formed by the habitual things to which our body automatically springs into action. So uh, another way of saying that is our bodies are, uh, over time, develop muscle memory, don't they? We lay down neural pathways that predispose us to certain actions. So for example, you can have, over the course of your life, a body that is ready to spring into action to gossip about people. Oh, no, you'd never do that, would you? Because guess what? What's, what's, what, is one, what is the most powerful organ of the body? Our brains, yep. What's, let me rephrase that. What's the most powerful instrument of the body that acts in the world to bring about changes in the physical environment? What's that, Laura? Our mouth, our tongue. Like, because words matter. Words move the world, right? And, in f and, and now let me ask you a question. How many of you are completely, totally in charge of what comes out of your mouths? In fact, one of the Bible writers, James, who, uh, brother of Jesus, had a, had a whole lot to say about life. James says, listen, if anyone can control their tongues, they are a perfect person. Because our tongues are part of our body, the way we exercise dominion over the world is through our words. And so what happens is our, our tongues get used to protecting ourselves, extending our dominion, and butting up our dominion against others. And we often do that in the form of gossip, don't we? Because if, I, if I've got a juicy morsel to relate about a colleague at work, I'll get acceptance from you. And you and I can experience the joy of being deeply, closely connected while we talk about this other person. Now, it's not that I want to gossip, but did you hear about blah, 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 blah. Whenever anyone says, I don't want to gossip, you know, of course you want to gossip. You'd really do. <laughs> we... we our, our tongues become this part of our dominion that, we, that, that actually almost get, they get a life of their own, don't they? This is one of the challenges of the body, is that over time, our bodies, the muscle memory, the neural pathways get habituated to have a life of our own. So ourselves, our hearts, actually don't really instruct our bodies to do what they should because why? <laughs> over time, listen, our bodies start to call the shots. And that's not good, because when my body calls the shots, I'm always going to put my needs ahead of yours. That's just the way our bodies work. Uh, Dallas, Dallas Willard has a quote that... Um, is, 
he says, uh, the mislocation of the body, so putting it in the wrong place in our understanding of how our lives work, the mislocation of the body explains many other intractable problems now facing much of our world. The sexualization of practically everything, abortion, eating disorders, and racial and other discriminations. I mean, if you think about it, isn't it nuts that I would treat a person differently because of the, the way their pigmentation is organized? That's nuts, right? And it happens. Why, why do we, why do we use pigment, skin pigmentation as a sign of identity and a means, therefore, for oppression and injustice? It's because we idolize our bodies. If the body is everything... And we, don't, and we make that ultimate and the signifier of who we absolutely are as people, then external things about our bodies can become signs of ultimate value and even personhood. So that's how um, many people could land in Australia and encounter our indigenous sisters and brothers and judge them to be not fully human. That's how you could have hunting parties to go and shoot uh, indigenous people in Australia. Because they don't understand that actually what is ultimate is spirit. That spirit precedes matter. Spirit is the essence of who we are. It's, we are spiritual beings having a physical embodied experience. Our bodies are, are massively significant but not ultimate. So external identifiers of our body like skin color cultural expression, these are not ultimate and don't determine whether you're a person or not a person. So almost everything that we go, everything that goes wrong in our world happens because we misunderstand the role of the body and the ultimate priority of the human spirit under the rule of God in the nature of this world. One of the other things that becomes really problematic with uh, a body that is misplaced in the ordering of life is that our bodies betray us, don't they? And we as a culture find that terribly hard to deal with. We, we idolize youth. We're obsessed with youth because we're absolutely insulted by the, the hide, the cheek of our bodies to let us down. So we try and pretend that they're not. But they are and they do and they will. We, none of us, get off this planet in the same mortal body that we came into this planet in. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, our bodies are fading away. They are dying, literally. We're all these, the, the potential energy that we have to mobilize in the system will, in the end, end. Our mitochondrial DNA will no longer generate enough energy to sustain life. One of our key systems will fail. That's terrible, isn't it? So we, we live in massive denial of this, which is really weird. I noticed, I noticed this a, few, a little while ago. Uh, when I grew up many, many years ago in a land far, far away, there were lots of gray-haired women. Have you noticed these days and, and this is not, not a comment aimed at anyone in particular. There aren't very many gray-haired women around anymore. Have you noticed that? Isn't that interesting? 
I find this fascinating. So, and I think to myself, what's happened to the, the human genome that over the last 40 years, women don't go gray anymore? I mean, at least not really. So why is that? Because we invest, and I'm not having a go at anyone here, believe me, I might turn away so I don't make eye contact unintentionally with anyone. Um, we invest an enormous amount of money to covering over any visible sign of aging, of which graying hair is a key example. And then we inject our faces with stuff to cover over other visible signs, like wrinkles and creases in our skin. I had this weird conversation the other day. I, I, really, I, I, with a guy who's a senior leader in this church, in, in the diocese, and we were chatting, and you know sometimes people say stuff that's just weirdly inappropriate? So we're chatting, and he's looking at me, and he goes, Ah, oh, Mark, have you ever had, like, an operation on your face? Because like, it looks like you've been cut open from there to there. And I'm like, I said, dude, I was flabbergasted. I said, dude, no, that is just, that is just the, the, the pain of the changes and chances of this fleeting world etched into the decreasing elastin in my skin. <laughs> and I was offended. I thought, you, and then I thought, you're just weird, mate. I could go and get Botox, I could go and do something to try and reduce the vision. But listen, that's nuts because it won't work, right? It doesn't work. In fact, uh, one of the great problems in our world is that we idolize our bodies because we don't understand the nature of our bodies, because we think our bodies are all there is. And then we get ourselves, and, and of course if our bodies, if this, if this is all there is, then holy moly, whatever happens, you don't want to think about the fact that, that, that this is passing by so quickly. So we live in denial and we invest a lot of money in denial. Now there's another weird com consequence of that, um, is we treat elderly people terribly badly. <laughs> That's really bad. It's really awful, isn't it? Now why do we do that? Well, I think it's because when I see the, the decline of your body and the indignities that the decline of your body brings about, I am, I'm terrified and reminded of the fact that that too will be my fate. But the good news is that Jesus says, guess what? Our bodies, your body, this matter that is now the realm of your kingdom, it is fading away, it will pass, but that's okay because this isn't all of who you are. Your spirit precedes your matter and you will gain in time a new body. This body is fading away. It will pass. Look at what Paul says later on. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we know, and I love this, he says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that is our bodies is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So, uh, you know, this tent this earthly, fragile dwelling you have, it's fading away. But that's not a reason to be terrified. That's actually, if we're followers of Jesus and we take him seriously, 
the fading away of our body is actually a wonderfully exciting thing because it's a slow reminder to prepare ourselves for the life that is to come. Uh, for the life that is to come, right? So there are three stages in, um, as we think about our bodies. Oh, hold on, two. There are three stages in life, in the life of the body, right? Uh, the first stage um, is uh, a time of steady growth. That is the stage you and I are in now. Our problem is we think this is all there is. But spiritually, the point of our life here is that you and I, that our spirits connect to God as spirit, and we are slowly over the course of our time growing steadily into that spiritual reality. And, and let me tell you, uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the other phrases the Bible says is, we are, though we are outwardly wasting away, what? We're being inwardly renewed. So steady growth of inward renewal, so that actually over the course of time, we should be more and more glorious and wonderful. That the inner glory of spiritual transformation gets turned up to such an extent that we don't even notice the outward fading away. Some of the most astoundingly beautiful human beings who've ever existed are the very, very elderly who've spent a life of spiritual growth. You think of a Mother Teresa, for example. You think of a Nelson Mandela, a radiant, glorious human being who into his late 80s and 90s was just glorious and astounding. Why? Because of the, the glory that's being turned up on the inside. And we shine on the inside. Uh, when you take your eyes off the, the, the wrinkles and the gray hair, you go, what matters is the spiritual transformation, the growth on the inside. And in fact, if that is the case, if the point of this life is for us to grow spiritually, our fading exteriors are a help in that, aren't they? Because listen, every time I look at the increasing wrinkles on my face and the gray hair that's emerging... It's a gracious reminder that I'm one day closer to losing this body, so I'd better get on with the process of growing my spirit and my soul. I'm one day closer. You're one day closer. In fact, at the end of, you'll be 30 minutes closer by the end of this talk. So what have you done with it, right? It's great you're here because listening to this, being part of this community is changing you inwardly. So it's okay to invest your time and, you, you know, you're fading away. That's all right. So we have a time of steady growth. And our outward decay is a great reminder of that. But then we have a time of passage. By the way, this is, this is true in most other cultures except ours over the last few hundred years. And the time of passage is where we pass from this life into the next. There's a transition that's coming, right? We will fall asleep. That's actually how the Bible talks about it. We will fall asleep. The potential energy in this physical system that you indwell will be completely spent and it will stop working and you will pass from this life into the next. And when you open up your eyes on the other side of that passage, you will find yourself surrounded by love and by friends and by community in a new world. 
It's a passage. It's scary. I'm not sure why we find it scary. I, I think we only find it scary as people because we haven't really taken what Jesus has to say about it with great seriousness. Uh, what Jesus says is that, that there is nothing to fear on the other side of this passage. You, you won't be alone, like we're terrified of being alone, right? But, but God, we won't be alone when we die, will we? Our bodies will run out of energy, but our spirits are still deeply connected to God who is spirit, and we will fall asleep in God's presence, and we will wake up in God's presence, and we will wake up in a community of love and friendship, <laughs> And so we shouldn't be afraid. <laughs> we, there's nothing to fear. How different is that from a world where this is all there is, and when this goes, it's gone. You go, no, no, no. <laughs> when this goes, then, then this eternal life that I've begun now really kicks in. <laughs> really kicks in. Uh, in fact, uh, after this, the third and final stage of our existence is uh, a time ooh, of reigning with Jesus, of ruling with Jesus. That this is the vision of our lives, right? That this is where we grow, this is where we prepare. This is where our souls are formed, our spirit learns to love Jesus, so that on the other side of this passage, based on the character that you have formed, you and I will spend forever and for always looking after the world with Jesus. And that'll be glorious and wonderful. In fact, isn't it interesting, Jesus said, I've been thinking so much about this, I actually find it incredibly moving. Jesus says, um, in the parable of the talents, he says, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been found faithful in a little. Now let me entrust you with much, maybe five cities, maybe 10 cities to look after. So uh, on the other side of this passage, as we reign with Jesus, on the basis of how we have grown with Jesus in this life, we'll, we will be entrusted with extraordinary responsibility I mean, imagine, here's, here's, a, here's a way to assess your spiritual progress in life. Okay, do you want a quick assessment? How would it go if you were given complete reign, complete rule and authority over 10 cities the size of Sydney? How would you go looking after 10 cities the size of Sydney? Would you have the wisdom and the intellectual capacity and, and the ability to be so closely related to an infinite personal God that drawing on His wisdom and knowledge and power, you'd be able to organize and look after 10 cities the size of Sydney in a way that every single inhabitant would flourish for always and for... for imagine that. Could you do that? Well, you should be able to. That's the point of your existence is to become so connected with the eternal God, so in step with His wisdom and understanding of the world, that you can actually extend your reign and dominion through yourself over ten cities or more, an infinite number. <laughs> what a vision for your body, right? What a vision for my life. 
this, is, this, this existence of extending my reign over this world, this starts now. This body that God has given me is like a training ground to get used to being able to exercise my will in this world because I'm going to have an eternity of exercising my will over vast realms of created and recreated reality. And my capacity to do that will in some way be fixed by the kind of character I have formed at the point of my passage. So if you've spent your whole life worrying about this body and this world and securing your own needs, you will be spectacularly poorly suited for life in the kingdom of the heavens. What would it be like to be a profoundly selfish, gossiping person living in the direct experience of unmediated, pure, holy love in a world just of love. I'd be an awful place. That's why Dallas Willard said, sometimes hell is the best God can do for some people. Because <laughs> it would be awful if you, if you absolutely don't want God in your life. And if you absolutely want to live for yourself, then being forced to be in the unmediated, intimate presence of God would be awful. So sometimes what God does is he say, because the best I can do for you is to put you out of my presence because to be in my presence would be worse than to be out of my presence for you. Maybe the fires of heaven burn brighter than the fires of hell. <laughs> the good news is we can be fitted for that. We can reign with Jesus as our bodies come into the eternal kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean for you and I practically? I want to say it means four things. One, you've got to release your body to God. Release our bodies to God. Romans 12, therefore, in the light of God's great mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just come to, wake up, let me give you a challenge. Wake up tomorrow morning. If you wake up, I mean, you might have gone through the time of passage. And uh, that would be a wonderful thing for you. Sad for us, wonderful for you. Uh, go home today. Let's, let's, you know, remove the risk that you don't get a chance to do this. Go home today and release your body to God. Take a moment, lie down on a comfortable place, and go through every bit of your body and say, Okay, God, my feet I release to you. Take me, take me where you want me to go. Uh, your, your, your genitals, release those to God. They're His. Everything you do with your genitals as you move up your body, that, that, belo that belongs to God. That was the point of 1 Corinthians 6. Your, your, your heart, your energy, your capacity, your will, release that to God. Your hands, what are you going to do? Visualize just saying, God, here, my hands are yours. Just use them. What, whatever you want me to do with me to do, Whatever you want me to do with my hands, I offer it to you. Your career, your vocation, caring for the vulnerable and the weak, bringing about justice in the world. Your eyes, offer them to God. You only want to look on those things that God wants you to look on. And you want to look on people in the way that God wants you to look on people. Not on the outside, but on the inside. To see the inner glory. So you say to God, I, I want to see people with your eyes. So when you see them, the, the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized walking by, you don't see them as just people to get out of your way so you can get on with just hanging out with the rich and powerful people. You, say, that, you see the spiritual glory inside of them. Yeah? When you see the elderly and the frail, 
You don't see someone who, whose mere existence strikes this chord of terror in you at your own mortality. You see with the eyes of Jesus the glory that is formed inside of them and how close they are to the time of passage and how much you can learn from them because of the journey that they've been on of steady growth. And so you say, I want to be around them. I want to see them in the way. And I, I don't see people the way Jesus wants me to see them. So I've got to release my eyes to God. I've got to release my mouth to God. So you say, I only ever want to say words that build people up that are true and beautiful. And that... And Your ears, what are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the gossip? Are you going to listen to the criticism? Are you going to listen to the negativity? Release your body to God. Secondly, um, don't idolize your body. Dethrone it. Just go, this isn't everything. I don't have to get all my bodily needs met. It's okay. I call the shots. You call the shots over your body. You call the shots. Not your body. You, you get your body into line. You train your body for righteousness, right? Don't misuse it. Our Bible reading, 1 Corinthians 6, great example of misusing your body is using it purely for sexual gratification for yourself. There's nothing wrong with sex. God is massively pro-sex. It's the way he's designed our bodies to release the potential energy in two human beings to give birth, not just to another body, but in a way that is completely mind-blowing, another spiritual being comes about as two spiritual beings having an embodied experience, uh, have sex together. They create another whole spiritual being. That's remarkable, but don't misuse it. Don't use it as a source of sensual gratification. And don't misuse your body to abuse or manipulate others. Don't ever manipulate other people. Don't ever misuse them. By the way, uh, in this culture, let me just put it out there. I think, mis I think overwork is a form of uh, misusing our bodies to manipulate other people. Because if I work harder than you, I'll get ahead I'll get what I want. And we compulsively overwork. Why? So that we can get ahead, so that we can secure our future, so that we can get the needs of our bodies met. It's nuts, isn't it? Overwork is, I mean, it's killing us. We're in, in the OECD, in, in the, globally, uh, we are like the third, in, in the global rankings, Australians are the third most likely people to work more than 50 hours a week. We have a culture of overwork. And, and we have a culture of overwork because we idolize our bodies in Australia because we don't have a spiritual vision of who we are. And if, and if this is all I have, then I have to get ahead. <laughs> and actually, my overwork is destructive. Kills my family. I just want to put it out there. It's very hard to be an adequate parent if you're working 60 or 70 hours a week. It's just really tough. You could in the good old days when it was harvest time and your kids were with you working in the field, but if you're in an office and your kids are somewhere else and you're outsourcing, you know, the raising of your kids because you're working crazy hours, there's no, it doesn't come from a spiritual vision of the kingdom of the heavens. It comes from an idolization of the material body. And, and it's, not, it's not a recipe for health, is it? So don't misuse your body. 
And the fourth thing which flows rightly from this is properly honor and care for your body. And I'll tell you, the greatest spiritual discipline God has given his people for this is the concept of Sabbath, of Shabbat. Uh, In my Jewish family, in the Jewish culture, the Sabbath is seen as the thing that has uh, kept Jewish identity and sanity and health. Uh, And I would say meant that Jewish people have, you know, 25% of all Nobel Prize winners have been Jewish people. Uh, Jewish people have outperformed any other ethnic group in the world. And there are people who one in seven days down tools and don't work. Just a thought. (laughs) Um, So take a Sabbath. Rest. Sleep. And on the Sabbath, silence. Solitude. Because you're telling your body, I'm in charge. You know what? I don't have to work today. All right. There's some practical things. What are you going to do? Honor your body. Care for it. Sleep. Get enough sleep. You need seven to eight hours sleep a night. Hard if you've got little kids. Uh, Hard if you've got to work. Got to get exercise. But you've got to rest in the presence of God because you know this world is not all there is. This is a training ground. The spiritual life you've started starts now and is preparing you and fitting you for heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank you for our bodies given by you to be the realm where we can uh, extend our rule, our, our dominion, that we can learn what it is to be made in your image and to exercise spiritual power in the world in the same way that you do. And I pray for us as a church that you will help us Uh, to put our bodies in their right place, to use this time of preparation well. I pray for those of us in our church who are approaching the time of passage where we know because of sickness or age that, that this passage, this journey is soon to come upon us. May the rest of us learn and love and support each other through that time. And I pray that you will be fitting us for this time of reigning with Jesus that you will keep our eyes focused on the eternity that has started now but stretches out in, uh, in, in, in an inconceivably vast plane of activity with ever more comprehensive cycles of productivity and enjoyment. Keep our eyes fixed on that. And as we do that, may we become people who, uh, whose bodies are only ever used to love and serve and bless others. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.